up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Tripped on a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind. On a jagged sky. Okay, you know, you guys aren't privy to all the new <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's what you, uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. Just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down. Well, we're back, Stacks and Jacks. Have time out. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures are up 17. NASA Futures up 90. Dow Futures up 26. This is after somewhat of a Fed carnage day yesterday. That, that was a. Kind of wild when you say, it, Greg. We didn't, uh, we didn't like what the man said. Greg, are you there? I'm here. It's a panic yesterday. Yeah, I know. It was a panic. What uh, do we have, Mr. Lou? I'm not panicked. Uh, well, no, you were probably short spoo. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but uh, no, it's uh, it's a lovely day out here in uh, Denver, Colorado. Um, the last. I think really nice day before uh, things get a little ugly uh, starting uh, tomorrow night. So, what's it supposed well, to do? Kind of I, I heard there's, we're we're starting. We can't just have a uh, rainstorm storm anymore. It's in a couple of atmospheric rivers are heading toward the northwest. Before I heard, yeah, uh, you know, again, that's that's panic. This this discussion here, uh, or the weather discussion right now, is just a good old fashioned snowstorm. But, um. Apparently, it's creating all kinds of forecast problems because it, it's not, it's not, be, it's behaving erratically. Imagine that a mountain storm behaving erratically. Yeah, um, must but, be must be climate change. Yeah, that's right. It has to be uh, because we've never had blizzards before. You know, no. in the winter time. Um, I, I think I think the the big issue is right now is is it's create it's creating problems here because it's giving people fits as to exactly where it's going to go and and. How much snow it's going to put down? Um, the, it looks right now like the they're going to get you know one to two feet of snow in the in the southwest and far west part of the state, which which is great. I mean that's part of the that's part of the Colorado River uh, basin runoff, so that that'll help. Um, but you know the issue here for the people in Denver is when is it going to shut down the Denver airport, which which is you know on a razor's edge of um, capacity anyway and um, you know number two what's it going to do to to the I-70 corridor as another you know another 10,000 people jump in their in their cars and and storm the uh, storm the slopes so it it that that that's why it creates creates an issue they actually have restarted train service up here from where so, to where uh, I 
from Denver, downtown Denver to I believe it's Loveland. The train drops you at Loveland, um, and it, it's it's literally a ski train. I mean, you you step on board and stack your stack your skis and your boot bags and, and all that, and then and then the train goes. I think it makes a couple of stops um, in the western Denver suburbs, and then it and then it goes to Loveland. So it's actually and a passenger train that goes to the the Moffat Tunnel and turns on the other way. Uh, yeah, something like that, and and then it it they've talked about trying to set up a rail line because because the traffic on seventy the the you know the recreational traffic on seventy is is a disaster especially in the winter and they've talked about setting up a a train line that that would run all the way to uh, you know to Breck uh, or to Copper Mountain or maybe even to Vale with uh, shuttle service for uh, you know for people once they get off the train I, I think that would make a lot of sense I don't know how many uh, cars it would take off the it would take off the road um, and, and obviously people like to drive around I mean those, those those villages rely on rely on people being able to drive in and out and go to art galleries and restaurants and all that but yeah they're not really um, as self-contained as like Vail and steamboat and places no, like that. no no and and I I mean I mean Breck Breck is once you get to the resorts um, but I seventy is just becoming a it's becoming a mess, and you have a lot of people driving on it who don't know really how to drive in the wintertime. And so Eisenhower, the Eisenhower Tunnel, which, as you know, basically sits at the top of a pass, so it's a it's an uphill climb to get into the thing, especially from from the western side. You know, people can't make the hill, trucks can't make the hill, they stop in the middle of the road. Um, and uh, it it's a it's a real problem. So, I well not as not as much of a problem pay, as Loveland Pass of, used to be. Yeah, Can I you imagine. Drove, I just drove I just drove that about two years ago. We um, we pay a lot of we pay a lot of attention to uh, to these kind of storms here, and so that that's the big discussion. But we're not panicking. Um. Well, I mean, should we get the should we get the Taylor Swift reference out of the way? Have you guys have you guys even talked about the the Kelsey Taylor Swift? Situation um, this week. Well, I don't. I don't really know did, if they had sex after the game. I mean, do you? I I doubt it. Um, the the I'm fascinated by um, the reaction of, of the sports media. You know, with all these guys saying, "I don't want to talk about Taylor Swift anymore." And I'm I, I you know my response was, "But you know, we have we've had football players and musicians, rappers especially, or or uh, hip hop artists." You know, links since the since the early aughts, and it, it was it was a big deal. They're young people now, with money, and that, they, that's right. Imagine that well, they're getting I, together. Well, that's part of it, but but I mean, the other part of it is, you know, I I I just I don't know what the lack of recognition is that that causes these uh, these writers to to not figure out that for the NFL, this is like the greatest PR boom in history. They they've suddenly because of this. This merger of these two, you know, they've suddenly got a, uh, I don't know what, ten million, maybe ten million new fans coming in. You know, people who had absolutely no interest in the NFL. Uh, the jersey sales are going through the roof. Um, it's it's really it's really funny. It's really well, she, to watch she brings a time. whole young people group into something that was was kind of lacking on young people, unless the people who bet. Um, I, I mean. Well, it's, it's, I mean, nobody plays nobody plays football anymore. 
Well, kids, these kids uh, don't play anything. I mean, nobody plays basketball, but it's not I like mean, it's just football. I mean, I mean, people play football, but but from my first of all, her cohort, Swift's cohort. Yeah, you know, we talk about all the little girls that go see concerts and all that, and that and that, yeah, that's part of it. But her biggest cohort are twenty and thirty something women, yeah. who, you know, because she's been she's been big for almost twenty years now. I, I don't know when her first her first hit came out, but I I remember hearing her uh, her music in you know two thousand five two thousand six. Greg can Greg can look it up, but she's she's been big for almost two decades. So you're you're looking now at people who literally grew up with her music who were in their 20s and 30s and and they are expressing an interest here now too and so again the nfl is the nfl now through her association with the kelsey is now reaching all these these new people and i don't i can't remember what the figures are in kelsey's jersey sales but they're they're astronomical well you you're, and, you know uh, you guys you guys you guys on the right are putting together a huge campaign to slam her well no Donald Trump is apparently putting together a huge campaign, and I, I think, again, my my I made the comment to somebody the other day that if if you know Donald Trump does not pass up an opportunity to be ungracious and and foolish, and and here it is, you know, this one presents itself. The biggest the the biggest insult to Donald Trump. Is that you know you you are everything is personal with him. Every single thing is personal. So so now his minions, apparently because he is directing it, his minions have decided that Taylor Swift is the target the target for today. And I'm just thinking this is the stupidest, well not the stupidest thing ever. It's just it's just dumb. Well, she endorses Biden. They claim they now they're they're looking back four years and they're saying she was responsible, which I don't know about that. Uh, is responsible for what? Who, How many who million is, young people voting for the first time? No, I don't. I don't I, know I, well, that. that's that's what I was reading yesterday. I didn't say it was right. I'm just saying that's what I read. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, again, I was the the political side of this thing is just is just ridiculous, and and again, exposing exposing. You know, Mr. Trump for what he is and and what he does, and you know, it, it's just it's asinine, and and you know, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Well, it it probably will. And but but you know, if if you're if you're Trump, if a Trump support, if you're a Trump supporter, aren't you saying to yourself, we do not need to remind the country of what it's going to be in for for another four years if this guy gets elected? You know? Yeah. It's just, it's just crazy. I mean, it's it's like it's very much like. It's not. On the, I don't know if it's on the same level. I mean, the press is making a big deal out of it. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to play out. But it it's sort of on you know on the same level of, you know, Joe Biden, you know, falling off a chair or or mumbling some stupid response to something off the cuff or telling another one of his. You know, when I was a kid, my dad said Joey stories, uh, it, it, reminding us of we're in for this. You know, this this is the essence of the individual, and we're we're going to be in for four more years of this. Um, and and anyway, that that's a ridiculous that's a ridiculous aspect of the story. But that you know, that's one of our presidential candidates. I, I'm fascinated by the business aspect of it, and, and the sports business aspect of it, and the fact that um, 
you know, I, I, and I wonder if somebody at the NFL has picked the phone up and called ESPN and a number of other sports outlets and said, get your people in line on this. This is great for football. You know, it's great for the NFL. Take a deep breath. You know, they're a couple for now. Although I do think, you know, she, the, the, he's, this has lasted long enough that, that he's probably going to get an LP written about him when, uh, when it breaks up. <laughs> well, but you know, I I don't understand why everybody just doesn't say, you know, what's 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 the big deal? I mean, uh, I mean, I remember when I was got my first job out of grad school when uh, I was at Allied Van Lines, and I remember I walk in and one day all of a sudden every girl in the place was bawling, and I go, what just happened? Elvis just died. Yeah, I mean, people feel like they they know these people and they 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 get an attachment to them and uh i don't i don't know if there's necessarily anything wrong with that i mean uh you know uh, it's an element look this is an element of um you know of humanity this kind of emotional attachment to to music people you know people have an emotional link to to the the songs of their childhood, the the, the memories used to be, that get used to be movie stars, you know. Yeah, the memories that get triggered. I think it's I think it's bigger for music, but yeah. but in any, in any event, I, I remember when I was in junior high school. You, you chief, you you were around then. The rumor that Paul that somebody put out on a, a oh, yeah. radio station that Paul McCartney had died. Remember that? Yeah. And I I mean I had, I had people. I was it was like in eighth grade, and I mean the same same deal, you know. All these girls walking around just in hysterics, and uh, you know what? Well, what he, had, he wasn't wearing his shoes, walking across the street, and Abbey Road, and yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it was the whole the whole it, thing. The the uh, strawberry fields. But uh, everybody has. I mean, even ending. you go back another generation. I mean, my mom said everybody, every girl had their favorite movie star that they would you know dream about, and every guy probably had you know like Grace Kelly or whatever. I mean, uh, she said her her pinup guy was uh, Errol Flynn. And my aunt's was was ten months younger was Ronald Reagan, and she goes, I don't think she'd have liked her to him too much as a president, but as a good looking guy, he was okay. <laughs> 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 okay then, I mean, he was a good looking guy. I mean, uh, Ronald Reagan, he's a pin up dude, right? I mean, it's it's really it's really interesting to to look at. So those people now would be influencers, yeah, right, because of the rise of social media. So social media and, and the access to in this kind of information through social media magnifies all of this stuff times like 10 and and so you know this this whatever it is romance between between swift and kelsey has a has an outsized impact you know what the little, it, it, i don't i was i don't know anything about either one of these people all, all i know a little bit is she came from a real solid family that's why she, her finances are in good shape and all that stuff she might actually one day just want a family I mean, it is possible, right? <laughs> oh, oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm being, I'm being cynical just because she's, you know, uh, and and the reason her her music, and I actually like a lot of her early stuff, um, but the reason her music is so appealing is because she writes about things that you know we've sort of lost track of and all the gender confusion craziness of the last you know five to ten years, but her songs are about you know. People, boyfriends, girlfriends, people treating each other, you know, certain ways, whatever, and and they speak to some very 
basic themes that we used to think were normal. <laughs> well, she's probably a, a better, uh, uh, I want to say, role model, for lack of a better term. Who's the, who's the last one? Uh, what's her name? The blonde one. Lindsay Lohan? No, before No, that. Britney Spears? No, 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 the singer. Well, Britney Spears was a singer. I know, I'm talking about what, before her. Uh, the uh, She had the one name. I have no idea. You know, she, she was... Madonna. She, Madonna? Madonna, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't think Madonna was a role model for... Well, but she, but everybody, she was big, huge popular in the, in the girls' teenage set. She was, she was, in wow. the 80s. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that whole pop pop scene yeah well i think i think swift the other thing about about swift is that is that she's a, a pretty savvy business person or at least she's being I, i'm saying she, she, she grew up in a family wasn't the, isn't the old man a cpa or something something like that yeah. but she's she's you know she she basically had her, her music catalog uh was sold and she's reissued almost all of those songs because she had the she retained some aspect of, of control over the over the music, so her book got sold for you know hundreds of millions of dollars to a to a producer and a producing company that she really didn't care for very much, and so she decided you know what I'm just going to reissue all these songs and 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 she's she's in the process of doing that, and and people are snapping them up, and and because they're they're slightly but different. It, it, and this slightly is this a stupid product. question though, and this. In this world of you, you go online and buy the song. Do you ever do you ever really lose them? Or why do you have to reissue them? Um, she's reissuing them because she's reproduced them and re redone them. All right, and and yeah, and, and it's a different, it's a slightly different version. Okay, um, yeah, her voice, her voice is a more mature. You know, she sang these songs when she was in her late teens, maybe, and so now her voice is is a more mature voice with a, probably a, a little bit better training. But where, where did I, you know, I don't know anything but, about but, her. Where did she I get, mean, I mean, she's, you know, where did she get started? I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the, the, I think, uh, she's, the from, I think she's from Pennsylvania. Oh, I said, but, a lot, but a lot of the black girls that were huge stars actually started singing in church and were noticed. Well, I mean, a, a lot of, almost all of the early black stars were, were church singers. Yeah. Um, I can't, I don't know, I don't think she started in a church choir. She's, I know she was singing, she was singing in, you know, bars and stuff like that in lounges, I think in Pennsylvania where she grew up. And I think that's when she started. Okay. And then, and then ultimately uh, moved to, moved to Nashville. So, so funny story about religious training. Um, there is a, uh, rage metal, rage metal. Greg will know the term of this. It's something metal band called disturbed. Um, and the the lead singer looks like you know a villain out of a out of a movie, some kind of cult villain. He's he's head is shaved. He's got the the earrings and the you know piercings and all the other stuff. Big big guy, kind of bulky. Um, and and he did a version of Simon and Garfunkel's "Sounds of Silence" on live on on one of the late night talk shows about. Uh, seven years ago it was and it was one of the most powerful performances i've ever seen on television in my life his voice was magnificent this guy could sing i don't know he, he does a lot of screaming in, in their normal stuff but in in this so i i, I these send people, these this, people don't get there because they don't have talent <laughs> no well 
Well, but I mean, but you just don't think, well, I mean, go go back and listen to a song by the Kinks. Uh, if you, yeah. <laughs> and you'll change your mind about singing anyway. But his it was it was one of the it was one of the most powerful performances I've ever seen. It certainly is mu- a much better version of that song than Simon and Garfunkel's original. And, well, and that so was, I said, "Sounds of Silence" could be the uh, actual ship. That should be how everybody behaved during COVID, and how what we're still coming out of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was it it. it uh, I'm sure it resonated at that point. So I sent a copy of I, I sent a, a copy of the performance to this this friend of mine who is uh, an older woman who's. Uh, her husband, who's now passed away, was a was a rabbinic scholar, you know, Jewish rabbinic scholar, and, and she's she's Jewish. And I sent this song to her. I said, "Man, you you got to see this. This guy's from New York, and and you know that, that's where she was from originally." And she comes back to me and says, "Oh, I know this kid. <laughs> he he used to sing in in temple. He's he really? was trained as a cantor in in a temple in New York that I used to attend. He's wow. a nice he's a nice kid." So what about me? I was the only guy in fourth grade who was not invited into the choir. I said, this kid was a cantor? He was trained as a rabbinic cantor? And she said, yeah, his voice was fantastic. We all thought he'd end up in show business. (laughs) You know what those guys guys do to study? What's what's the uh, Jewish law? Not the Torah. What's the other one? Uh, The law book and stuff? Torah is the book of the law. Okay. Well, they, uh, or no, not the Torah. The Torah is the book, the five books of uh, the yeah. Old Testament. Um, no, I know what you're talking about. Well, one of my buddies, uh, client here at PTI, he uh, he's in one of these groups that really is into that. And boy, you go to his house and the place is just loaded with these books all over the place. I mean, they're, it looks like a law library. They go every day and they and they study four pages. Yeah. And when they get to the end, they start all over again. Yeah. It's, well, a, it's quite the deal. I mean, this woman's this woman's husband was apparently one of these guys who is, you know, hasn't just studied it, but apparently has memorized it. But he would get he would get calls apparently from, you know, the rabbinical council in uh, in Tel Aviv, asking for interpretations, you know, on on certain. On yeah, certain I, issues. I, I, those guys are really into it. I mean, they're seriously. Well, you know, if if you're if you're an ultra orthodox, if you're an orthodox or ultra orthodox uh, observer, Jewish observer, you know how you the, the the law can control or does control the most minute at minute minute. Ugh, I can't speak this morning. Minute aspects of your life, without a doubt. But such as doubt. you know whether whether on Sabbath you can turn a light switch on. Well, it on really Sabbath, it really messes with the, the your eating. It it can and and I mean and and you know, how how to keep kosher and you know what kind of oh you you go you to know. cities and you only you only eat at other people's homes or there's maybe two or three in New York there's more but here there's probably two or three real kosher places yeah they keep a full kosher kitchen I know because uh, yeah. I mean you can't so, I mean, you go to like Manny's Kosher Deli it's not kosher by not, any stretch. Not, yeah, I mean they may use kosher meat products, but no. But as far as what they do with the dishes, you know who's, uh, so. you know who's allegedly kosher, but there's really only one place that is. Uh, Dunkin' Donuts is kosher, but the only one that they can go to, because even though the donuts leave and the, and the bagels and whatever leave some place kosher, if you drop into a non-kosher place where it touches a non-kosher plate, 
uh, you, uh, the only one is there's one up on Dempster or someplace that I've gone with him a few times and quite a group in there. But uh, yeah, well, I, I, but, I mean, it's, it's, but that's that's the only place because you, it's not just uh, not eating pork. It's it's, I mean, if I had this gentleman over to my place, I'd have to probably put. A, I, I I mean, I know enough about it to get away with it. I'd have to have paper plates, uh, plastic forks, and I'd have to put uh, aluminum foil on the grill if I was going to cook a, a kosher steak or something like that. Or I'd have to go to a place and get a bit of kosher chicken breast or whatever. And I could cook them, but you can't touch the grill if something else touched no, it. No, you can't it touch to be, a frying pan. And even if you wash it, that's not any good. You, yep, it's got to yep. be... No, no. It's, it's, it's so anyway, a big deal. So this, this, guy, this, guy, this guy was, was that, kind of a, that kind of a scholar. I see that Kevin O'Neill... God bless him, who's apparently one of our listeners at this hour, has just uh, just sent in, I think, the YouTube version of the uh, of that song that I was referencing, but I'm not going to pull it up and listen to it. So, anyway, I wanted to re- the Taylor Swift thing gets my sports reference out of the way. I well, after to touch break, we're going to break in a minute. Let's try and somehow or another here, uh, we, we got we got somebody somewhere on the on the show, or all of us collectively, have to somehow. Pull together the idea that we have a, a uh, let's just say a, a traditionally higher price market in some areas, not all. Um, we have a federal government that everyone went giddy on the other day because they were going to they going to borrow a little less than somebody had thought. We seem to have growing military needs everywhere on, on the money side. You know, let's kind of stay away from the politics side. We seem to have. Did you read that article I sent you yeah, from oh yeah. Commander Salamander? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, pretty interesting. Very interesting, and, and but you know, is uh, is not only the stuff we have are we running out of it, but is it the right stuff for the wars we're, we're you know we're fighting today, or do we need something different or cheaper or something? Uh, what's the time frame on that? What's the cost? Uh, we've got this idea that some places don't seem to want to pay any taxes, and I'm not lobbying for. All I'm saying is there's a shortage of money here. Now, granted, a lot of it's in spending, and you and I could cut a whole boatload out of the federal government and a budget, I think. But the fact is, some of this stuff is not coming together. There's a, there's a disconnect on just about every subject to talk about. And that, that really is the subject, is that none of this stuff is being addressed in its entirety, in my mind, or seemingly, by whoever the hell, hell we have is in power. And I don't think it's the people we elected. But well, let's talk. Let's, let's, we could talk about the fact that we prepare a statement of needs. The DOD prepares a statement of needs every what is it, four or five years, and every and then it's promptly it's promptly disassembled by Congress. Yeah, yeah. Which looks at it and says, "How many of these projects can I get into my district?" And and that that tears it apart. Well, I mean, but we are, but I, you can't be. I, I'm at this thing. If we are on a war footing, of some sort, we should be okay. I'm just let me finish for a second. We just sent 300 guys from Illinois, 300 people, I'm sure, a bunch of more ladies, to somewhere in the Middle East. We just had three or four people killed over there. Uh, stealing money on your taxes should not be a national sport by a multinational corporation. It, it just shouldn't be. I mean, in, in times of need, and other times maybe you know knock yourself out. But now, you know, you can't have Microsoft allegedly own how many billion dollars in taxes from stuff they did from overseas. And saying, "Well, screw you! It'll take you ten years for the courts to get me." That, that, uh, I would, I would, you know. Again, we go back to the issue of as long as it's as lo- if it's within the law, then fine. If it if, if you don't like it, change the law. Um, 
obviously somebody doesn't think it's within the law. But I mean, if if it's there, there's a smell test, Lou, and all this stuff to me. And, and I, don't, I don't know how the hell they ever did it, actually. But you're going to tell me this is so totally unconstitutional, and it probably is. But on the on the, the side of the trading floor, when they made the rules for the CBOE, there was like ten rules. This, this reminds me like of high school gym, where the gym instructor said, "Rule number one is obey all the other rules." And rule number two was d- never forget rule number one or something something stupid like that. And the, the, the last rule at the CBOE was basically anything that would be against the just and equitable principles of trade. In other words, if you think of something that's not covered by the other ten, but everybody knows it's, it's not the way everybody can behave together, it's wrong. Okay, well, good. Well, we're going to talk about Elon yeah, Musk. Absolutely. SB Futures up 21, NASDAQ Futures up 103. Be right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right now. Right now. Hello, everybody. Stocks and jocks. I'm Tamara with Greg Pappas on the board. SP futures up 22. As the futures of 105. Headline is stock futures rise slightly after Fed Day sell-off. Fed day sell-off, Greg. That's that's a good that's a good one, eh? Uh, Dow futures are up 53. Uh, let's see, we've got Honey, Honeywell's earnings were last night. What's what's Honeywell doing? Uh, they're down four bucks, 446, 197.80. Uh, that's down two percent, not a whole lot, but it's down down some. Again, talk about people that are involved in the military stuff. Uh, Honeywell is a big contractor and it controls on just about everything everybody uses. So, you know, interesting to see that those guys. If you were gonna if you're going to buy stock, the bigger stocks in the military-industrial complex, Honeywell, I will talk to Lou after the break, but it's got to be one of your top three, them and Lockheed and Boeing. I, mean, I don't know if there's a few others there that I probably don't know. Next down six, let's call that flat. FTSE up 26.3%. Kick around down 52.7%. Uh, Bank of England, uh, they're, they're gonna, I think they're coming out with their announcements here, uh, not to, well, either today or tomorrow or somewhere. Uh, Asia. Nikkei down 275.6%, Hang Seng up 81.5%, uh, 15,566. 
over Shanghai, uh, t- under 2,800, uh, down 17, 2770. I never thought I'd see that, but uh, that's uh, that's a lot. Um, U.S. yesterday, ouch, down on 317, S&P down 79. It's 1.6 percent. Nasdaq down 345, 2.2%. Uh, that's biggest down day we've had there in quite a while. Uh, bonds today down one basis point. Back under 4%, 3.94, uh, which is interesting because the Fed said they weren't going to cut, at least in March. The Bund up 4%, uh, 4 basis points to 2.20. Japan down 4 basis points, 0. 0.70. Oil uh, up 36 cents, 76.21. So I'm going to say that it looks like the range in oil has moved from 68 to 72 or 73 to maybe 74 to 77 here. We'll see if it's just a, a range change or an actual breakout. Uh, Brent up 37 cents, 80.92. Natural gas up 3 cents, 213. But wow, way below $3 or it was a little while ago. Our Bob unchanged at 224. Gold, which has been creeping up, not today, down 19 bucks, but still at 2048. So it is in the middle 2000s again. Silver down 45 cents. This is probably. Under 23 bucks, we've kind of liked silver, 22.71. But you know, I don't know. Uh, I'm kind of surprised it's it's down below 23 again, but it is. Copper down four cents, 3.86. We have Bitcoin uh, down 6.22, 6.22, and the U.S. dollar virtually unchanged, slightly higher. The euro at 108.1 and the pound at 126.7. Yeah. Greg, what do you have for us, Trevi, Weather Sports? Good morning, everyone. 637 here in Chicago. 37 degrees right now, up to about 48 today. Mild with some sun, a little bit colder tomorrow. 62 in Phoenix, clear skies. Uh, 77 today. Rainy weather coming up this evening through tomorrow. Sports, Bulls beat the Hornets. That was 117-110. And Northwestern lost at number two, Purdue. That was 69-105. Traffic, inbound Kennedy from Montrose. 10 minutes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook is 23 minutes. Ike from Wolf to the Interchange, 22 minutes. The Ryan, 95th to 290 is 19 minutes. And inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 25 minutes. That's all I got, Chief. Back to you. So, Lou, the, uh, would you say uh, Honeywell, Honeywell is, a, is a real big player in the uh, defense industry, isn't it? Um, it's a player. I, I don't. I don't know how big a player it is but it's definitely a player any of your any of your major uh, electronics and control uh, devices manufacturers are 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 going to be pulled into what we're doing right now with our with our weapon systems and and uh, aviation platforms and is, is Lear Sigler stuff is Lear Sigler still around or are they, are they part of somebody else now sorry who is Lear, Lear Sigler uh, I think they've been absorbed I think they I think they have too my uh, one of the one of the guys who was the assistant plant manager at Pullman and a pretty good friend, Ken Mannon was his name. Hope he's still with us. Maybe not. Uh, Vietnam guy and his his job was they used to. <laughs> this is this is our government at work, Lou. They would send planes over there that you could they could essentially fly them in, but they really weren't good for anything <laughs> other than flying because they lacked a lot of the electronics. So they wanted to deliver them and get the money, right? So Ken's job was to he worked for Lear Sigler, but he you know, he had the army outfit on uh, and he would go from there'd be like five planes at a base like ten miles from him. They'd ship him the five big hunks of electronics that go on the dashboard 
for the thing to do any good when it gets in the air. I mean, you can still fly it without it, I guess. And his job was to find out which roads had been unmined during the night or demined, whatever you want to call them, swept, mine swept. And he would he would drive out, maybe with one guy with him. they drive along, hopefully not get shot to the airfield, put all the electronics in the five planes and head back at night, hoping they don't get shot on the way back. He goes, sometimes it'd be three or four trips to get one plane going. And it would be like, yeah. there, you know, just, you know, you read you read hear about this stuff, and you just kind of shake your head and go, "Really?" But Lear Sigler was big on that for all the stuff. Yeah, one one of my good just to give you an idea how this goes. One, you know, we're we're a lot better at at moving stuff now than we were then because all the stuff then was done by you know index cards and and grease boards and schedules. But um, one of my good friends was responsible for the airlift. Uh, when we decided to kick off the war in uh, in Iraq in, in Gulf War II, and he has he was a, a senior colonel at the time, and his job was the coordination of all the air traffic that the Air Force was supporting, uh, which meant that it was all you know the Civil Reserve Air Fleet and all the other stuff that we had in the air. So he was coordinating not just the planes and their cargo, but the tanker support and and landing rights and everything else that that was needed to establish an ongoing air bridge to support combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and you know, I mean, what you've just described with the planes getting there and the parts getting there later is, is probably a function of just capacity somebody said we can get the airplanes there right away um and then the you know we, we don't have the capacity to ship the parts yet they're not a high enough priority so we'll put the airplanes on the ground and then when the parts get there we'll just we'll just have them installed whereas now because of our data processing capability we can literally say okay we're gonna have you know whatever's required for you know the assembly of a tank you know we we can we can get that tank it's coming from here uh or this vehicle coming from here the support equipment that's gonna that's gonna go on it or that it needs is coming from this other place we can we can look at the, the schedule and use our our data processing to make sure that that the, the the vehicle gets loaded on an aircraft on day one and on day plus three, and it's going to take X days to get there. On day plus three, we're going to load the equipment because our, we can we can see the flights that are going to get that there. And and then of course when the airplanes break down, uh, or or you know somebody can't land somewhere, or or you can't get a you, know, you can't get a flight off the ground or into an airport, you know the whole thing ripples. But but our data processing capability is is, is you know able to manage that, and it's it's astounding to think of the complexity. Um, he he walked me through a, the movement of a company of soldiers from uh, I believe it was Fort Bragg, and all the associated gear and everything that went with them, and what that took in terms of planning, and it's it's astounding. It, it really is. Oh, I mean, it's the when you talk about you know three million parts on a seven triple seven. I got a question for you. We we used we maybe still do when I say we. Um, I, I remember reading God a long long time ago. Lou, when people were still buying uh, 747s, uh, that when I say people, airlines, and uh, there was there was a program, and this you know I was young, I was probably still at Pullman. There was a program that said that people airlines 
if you wanted to, not you know, if it was available to everybody, when you when you bought your 747, you could contact the Defense Department or obviously talk to them, and uh, there were a lot of differences that they would. In other words, if we ever had a war, you know, kind of like we're sort of into, um, the the government, the Defense Department, wanted to be able to essentially access these planes, which are massive. Obviously, they were massive machines. Yeah, it, it's, some, it's yeah. something called the Civil Reserve Air Fleet. And they, and it, but when they yeah. built the plane, they they bu- they beefed up supports in certain parts of the plane. So if we took the seats out, you could actually put, you know, jeeps in there, and the floor would hold them. And it was it was a you know another. I'll pick a number, $2 million a plane, that the Defense Department would essentially give you to add to the price that you paid Boeing for the plane. And then out of your 10 747s, maybe eight of them were like this. And if we ever had a real problem, they could be converted to military use like pretty much right away. Uh, when I say right away, probably in a couple of weeks. You know, he's pull the seats out, what else you had to do with it. Um, and I... Does that stuff still go on? I mean, we don't. There are no 747s. I don't think you can do that with a 787. I mean, it doesn't carry that kind of weight. But I mean, have we lost that ability because these people don't have these planes anymore, or, or, or you know, seven so many 737s? Can you grab? I mean, I have no idea. That I don't. I don't know. I don't know the exact composition of the Civil Reserve Air Fleet, but but I do know that we have contracted with people like Flying Tiger and stuff like that to maintain their jumbo jets the 747s and, you mean the ones uh, used for like uh federal express would use and people like that yeah we we've contract we've contracted with with, with you know commercial cargo carriers for that we have contracted with uh all of the airlines for for some of their aircraft to be rolled into this the the cargo versions are i assume reinforced so that that they can carry the heavy stuff uh, maybe maybe even re-engined. So we do we do maintain, and we also do that by the way with the Merchant Marine. Um, we do maintain a reserve group of those aircraft that we can call on in times of war, and we did in in uh, both Gulf Wars uh, that we can call on to augment our our transports. But we only have a limited number of heavy lift aircraft that can do things like fly a tank. Well, that's yeah, like the, your big, those big, huge C5A, five, five. That's the C5s, and the yeah. C5s, the C5s are almost as old as you and me. You know, they rolled out in what 67, 68, yeah. and and so you know that they're they're in bad shape. They were they were technological. Another example of our procurement problems in the 60s. We bought a lot of aircraft and and ships that were technological marvels, but they were so far advanced that we really couldn't anticipate and didn't anticipate the the engineering issues that were associated with this fantastic technology. So the C-5 is a is a, a fairly unreliable uh, aircraft for transport. Um, it's not like the, it's joke, not like the 130 that's going out that'll live forever. Well, the one and the 130 the 130s 1950s technology. Yeah, no, you know, it's but it's like the B-52. It'll, yeah. it'll live forever. It, it didn't. It didn't have. It didn't have a lot of. It didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It was technologically advanced, but it wasn't the kind of bleeding. Bleeding edge, as we call it in the defense biz, bleeding edge technology. The joke about the C five, by the way, is if you see, if you drive by an Air Force base and you see three C fives parked on the runway, and two of them are up on jacks, do you know what that means? That means they're taking parts of the other one. No, 
it means they only have two sets of jacks. Oh, God. Uh, um, the the um, during during the Second Gulf War, we actually contracted with a Russian uh, air service that was flying uh, something called the Antonov 124, which is about it's about the same size, maybe a little bit bigger than the C5. Um, but we were contracting with them to haul a lot of a lot of heavy stuff, wow. like jet engines and things like that, because we didn't have the airlift capability. So we were actually paying this Russian company. Well, the, the to, Russians, uh, you, you do realize, you, if you're listening yesterday, which was hard to because we had technical problems, I was talking about the Davos thing and how, how the parties have wound down dramatically because the Russians aren't invited anymore. That the Russians would have parties... Uh, I'm, not, we're, we're I'm not sure how that affects their airlift capability. No, I'm saying, but they used to have all kinds of dough, the Russians. Well, this is not, this is not dough. I mean, these yeah, aircraft were these aircrafts were built in the in the late '80s and early '90s. It's just that we don't, we're not building that kind of capability for right, airlift so the, right now. The question I, I guess I originally asked was, because it's wh- not sexy. All all the stuff we're going through right now with these, I won't say new kinds, but different kinds of warfare or whatever theater we happen to be in, and there seems to be a lot of theaters around right now, um, does our stuff match up with what's going down? I mean, obviously in, in, in Ukraine, it's a whole bunch of artillery shells and stuff and rockets. Obviously, in the in the against the Houthis, we don't want to have F-22 shooting down a $20,000 drone. I mean, are, are, are we matched up with, with what we're being attacked with? What we appear to be being faced with, I guess, is my question. Well, okay. So first of all, the Houthis, the Houthis, in addition to launching the twenty thousand dollar propeller-driven Shahed drones, which, which you know, might might kill a few people on deck, but aren't really going to do a, you know, fatal damage to a ship. In addition to launching those things, which which we were shooting down with with uh, Sams that were very expensive, um, they're launching they're launching fairly sophisticated, you know, ballistic missiles, short-range ballistic missiles that they're targeting at vessels, really? and and also uh, cruise missiles, you know, that fly at, you know, high speed, you know, 25, 30 feet off the deck, and are, are guided into a, to a ship. In fact, one of our vessels uh, two days ago shot down one of these high-speed cruise missiles coming in not, I mean, they've been using their they've been using their surface-to-air missiles to, to knock these things down because that's that's what those were actually designed for. This time, either they had a misfire or the missile missed, and they shot it down with the uh, the Sea Whiz, the the twenty the cannon, the automatic cannon that is sort of the last line of defense on the boat, and uh, and knocked it down. So, the short answer is, the stuff we have right now. Is doing exactly what it was supposed to do, in terms of, of fleet defense um, and and capability. Now, again, we're not we're not going up against the you know the front line Russian or Chinese stuff, but but we're, we're seeing some fairly sophisticated stuff fired at our, our boats, and you know, we and the Brits and maybe the French, uh, the Canadians with the British stuff are and, and probably the Japanese. Are are you know the few some of the few navies that have the capability to do this? Uh, the Indians, the Indians may have upgraded their their stuff sufficiently, but um, so so short answer is the stuff we have seems to be working in Ukraine. Our high tech stuff 
where the Ukrainians have been able to deploy it, has done credible work against you know frontline frontline Russian weapon systems. So the Patriot missile system has proved to be uh, pretty good over there, and not just in knocking down aircraft, but in taking down uh, high-speed ballistic missiles, you know, long-range ballistic missiles, and and high-speed uh, cruise missiles. Um, the the weapons that we are the offensive weapons that we are using seem to be pretty pretty effective against against Russian frontline uh, electronic warfare and and uh, anti-missile technology. You know, Storm Shadow, Scalp, uh, HIMARS. Um, apparently, we're we're giving them. I thought we had given them this, but apparently, the uh, small diameter uh, glide bombs are uh, are coming online now that can be fired out of out of HIMARS and uh, and its sister systems. So, the short answer is, yeah, we're, the stuff we're getting is seems to work work pretty well. the The issue right now, in, in for us in our defense work, is the Pacific, and and it's a matter of numbers. We we are not the world's largest navy anymore. China is. They've got a gazillion boats. They've got they've got uh, tens of thousands of missiles and and missile launchers that can be directed either at Taiwan or any force trying to defend Taiwan. Um, we they, they have worked very hard at, at developing a missile capability that is going you know will will strike at anything we we have that could that. You know, we've designed as a missile platform, and it's one of the reasons why. And we haven't heard much discussion about it lately, so I assume it means it's actually being fielded. It's something called distributed lethality, which means effectively, from the Navy's perspective, that we are putting missile launchers and and offensive weapons capability onto every boat that we can strap it onto, including things like minesweepers and supply boats. Really? And okay. Roll on, roll well, off. Well, when they when they re- retired. The, the battleships uh, and you know people have the, the the you know the lore of those things when they retired them they really were missile launch platforms they weren't I mean no, they weren't going to shoot the guns at anybody I mean they could have but they they were they were they were total missile launch platforms weren't they yeah at the end yes they they opened what they did is upgraded and or tore out the the guts I think on one of the either one of the turrets or no, they got rid of the smaller of the guns in the middle and they and they put uh, they put uh, tomahawk missile cruise missile launchers on there that that you know could could strike you know 1500,000 1500 miles away uh, the guns were still there the guns were yeah. still useful but but um, they became a were, huge platform of other stuff basically wasn't the first first shots fired in the Iraq war was a cruise missile from a battleship wasn't it i think that's right and and um, you know, interestingly enough, even by the end of the Second World War, the battleships really weren't gun plat gun platforms. They were anti-aircraft platforms. They brought them. They brought them in because they were they were so loaded with anti-aircraft weapon systems that that they could. Um, they were protecting you know, other. They, they provide, were protecting yeah, the carriers. Provide a screen for the. Hey, I got a important stuff. Question of Russell and I were discussing it yesterday. We're talking about uh, everything that everything that goes on anywhere in the world right now. Appears to be blamed on Iran, all right. And I, it, 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 by the way, you know I'm no fan of Iran, but uh, I mean through Fari, I have a pretty reasonable—not as good as yours, but a reasonable trace of the history of that because of what his dad was with the Shah and everything. But anyway, what I'm saying is, if, if it's it's degrees of 
you know, you had, you had the Republican guy calling Joe Biden a personal coward. You know, there's a difference between saying you want to bring back the death penalty and there's and you being the hangman. I mean, nobody wants to be the person, right? So as you work your way up the chain, you know, be me trying to be a somewhat educated civilian, you being a lot further into the military, you and Mike, uh, when you walk, if if I'm going to start killing people in Iran, uh, which we may end up having to do, uh, I I don't just want my opinion, some newsman's opinion, and all this stuff is from Iran. I want to know as much as I can. I want somebody to take one side of the Oval Office or the Situation Room and put a big map or a blackboard showing my age. And I want to know where all this crap is coming from. The, 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 the blasting caps, to this, that, the other thing. I mean, how exactly did North Korea get all those weapons to people at Hamas? Did it come, from, I don't know, ship went over one place, came back full of weapons? I, I can't just go with a 50% knowledgeable opinion like I might have or a 70% knowledgeable opinion you might have. I really have to know. And if any of it is traced back to one of our multinationals that don't, maybe don't care about us anymore, uh, I want to know that too. And I don't mind putting a SWAT team in the boardroom and taking people out in the cuffs. I mean, I, I, re- I really want to know who's involved and how these guys aren't supposed to be able to cash checks, yet they, they're getting paid somehow. Is it all just barter, or is J.P. Morgan... I mean, I'm not accusing Jamie I mean, I, mean I, I think I think presumably we know a lot of that. Okay, I, I'm hoping not, we do, but, but do we? We're not going to reveal it. Okay, but but I'm saying, uh, I think we do. I hope we do. But is it? But is it to our satisfaction? Is is, is Joe Biden capable? I mean, she's capable more capable in a lot of things than I am. But is he capable of following the money like maybe I could? I mean, I, or somebody on there's somebody else on the show could. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, my my impression from my limited touch touches in this world as an attorney and and other things is that. We can track the movement of money pretty pretty closely. Now we know, for example, that this stuff is going on ships. We don't always know which ship. And in fact, we had those two seals killed in a in a boarding and seizing operation on a vessel on the high seas that we had identified. Um, but we know, for example, that North Korea is shipping the stuff in. We know, for example, that certain buyers in Europe are buying legally buying materials from our you know our manufacturers and then illegally selling them to the Russians or to the Iranians with our, um, our manufacturers not knowing anything about it that's bull well I don't know if they not know anything about it but they can't do anything about it well, they could, they, could the not, they could not sell it they, well so we want to shut down our businesses well, I'm saying some, I'm some saying lunatic in okay Germany so violating international law a, 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 a Frenchman named uh, whatever French name Tom Howe in Paris calls up Boeing and says, I want 50 missiles, and I don't have an army, I don't have a country, I don't have anything, and they're going to ship them to me, and I ship them to well, Russia, and that's gonna, okay? They're not going to ship them to you, okay? So so it's we're not talking about we're not talking about high technology here. Okay. The stuff that's being put in these drones are, are you know, things that you would use in a cell phone or or in a, in a, a game console or something like that. And so, and so, they're manufacturing this stuff. They're legitimate. These guys are legitimate buyers, and then and then they threw up a series of black market moves. They they make their way to they make their way to Russia. I think we know roughly, you know, one or two points on that chain, but but 
you know, uh, in some respects, it may not be worth it to us to, to interrupt the chain. Well, uh, we got we got a dash here. Here's my here's my. We want to introduce something into that chain. We may want to we may want to put counterfeit stuff into that chain at some point. You're, um, I guess, well, we're, we're we're certainly not arguing, discussing. Problem I have with that is I agree with you. We can't. I'm not gonna be like a sports guy. 110 percent, 100 percent. That I think we have people that are pretty darn smart and and kind of know this stuff. But I also know that when 9/11 happened, uh, the feds were asking our friend John Nigerian how he found out about the option trading before 9/11. And you know what? They never got to any of those people, and yet that money is so easily traced. It's scary. And Kenny Polkiri came on the show one day about, and I didn't hear this rumor, but he's closer to New York than I am. Uh, the day before the Hamas invasion. Somebody bought puts in a whole bunch of Israeli stock. Oh yeah, no, I no, know I, that. I, I don't. I haven't heard of anybody getting arrested. Of you, I mean, do, well, we, I, we, mean we, we, I think there's areas of there's people that we don't want to know, and that's that's my problem with this. Could 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 well be, could well be. Is that you can't tell me the easiest thing in the world is to call PTI and say, by the way, who bought those thousand puts in uh, the company that miraculously got bombed yesterday? We can tell them. <laughs> you got to pay well, for it, right? You may not. You may not know. You may not know what the what the arrangement was. I mean, again, there 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 are several different layers here. We may know, but we may we may not. We may say to ourselves, we're not gonna we're not gonna burn that source because it's more valuable to us to have it operating than, than or not or you gave me a million dollars to my campaign. We're not going there. Uh, that probably doesn't. I don't think that's very likely. I think I, it's much more likely that we think that source is something we can use. All right, Luke. Thank you very much. Are you gonna Are you gonna get the strap the skis on with all this snow? No, not anytime soon. I'm just headed into the gym right now. You're not gonna do snow. Uh, I, if I went out again, I would like to do some of the snow walking in some of those areas. What do they call it? Snowshoeing. Snowshoeing. Yeah, I actually that's got some work. of those. Well, yeah, that's hard work. Well, I might have to I might have to go to the gym a few times before I try that at height. I would suggest. I would suggest it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. SP futures up twenty two. As if here's a 102, be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now.
Hello and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Fuse up 20. ASF Fuse up 20. 92. Is that, uh... God, what's that from? This one's from Bullet. That's right. Wow, it's right before the right before the car scene. Right? You know it. Wow, it's a... Or is that, or is that the, uh, the theme song? Well, this is, I think, in the beginning. It's the so beginning, yeah. What a great... What a... Do we have Mr. Dan? Yes. Do you remember Bullet? I... Vaguely. <laughs> well, it's a it, it's a it's a it's kind of a must see period piece because uh, uh, San Francisco for a real long time because of earthquake uh, you know architectural rules really didn't change for what like forty years. I mean, if you if you went there in, in two thousand and five, it looked exactly like it does in the movie. Same buildings up on Knob Hill. I mean, nothing changed because you couldn't build anything. But now, you know, now they have you know. But now they have more skyscrapers down on the bottom on by the financial district and stuff. But the time that Knob Hill looks exactly as it did in the twenties. I mean, you got the you got the Mark Hopkins. You got the uh, uh, was it the Fountain Fountain Blue? You got all those yeah. things. It looks they look exactly the same. Cable cars going by. Interesting, yeah, very interesting. Plus, there was a lot of stars in that movie. The uh, it was one of uh, who's uh, Robert Duvall's first movies. He was a cab okay. driver. Yeah, I'll check it out, definitely. Plus, the, the car scene's still the best, the car chase. Oh, car maybe chase. maybe French Connection, but it was pretty good. Not to mention, Jacqueline Bissett's always good to look at. Just saying. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I, I loved her. Yeah, with the, the British accent and everything, she, she, was oh, one yeah. of my, she was one of my favorites. Anyway, so what would you, th- you think of yesterday, uh... F- yeah, it's, it, it, it was. Um, it wasn't a surprise at all to me. Um, I don't think it was a surprise to most people. Um, you know, the 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 tone or the the message that everything is starting to get back to normal, so supply chains getting back to normal, the economy getting back to normal. But the Fed is still not ready to do something, um, and they won't be ready to do something in March. And I think that's the reason the market sold off. There's been a lot of um, people, you know, forecasting these six cuts this year and the March cut, cut and all that. But I never thought that was going to happen. That they're waiting for more data. They want to see, you know, Powell was saying yesterday that he wants to see uh, the inflation rate get under two percent for a sustainable period of time, not necessarily just drop to that level. Um, they are saying that the risks are better balanced. Um, they are saying that the environment is definitely improving. Um, they are saying that um, you know they will continue to um, sell uh, securities, um, so that which is not necessarily directly related, but they're they're not in they're not quite ready. And it's interesting, uh, Chief, from from this discussion, it kind of made me think about some you know sort of a general theme that we have in the markets today. And it's one of what I would refer to as impatience. In other words, people want everything to happen already rather than letting it just play itself out. And I tend to agree with the Fed that it's best to get the numbers. Uh, someone made a comment yesterday that I that I absolutely agree with. They're really afraid of being wrong. I mean, they were wrong um, before, and th- they're just you know a few years back, but they're just not wanting to be wrong. So. They're erring on the, 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 the side of safety and keeping rates unchanged. But they did say that the average of the, of the Fed board members 
the average number of rate cuts they expect this year is three. So we're definitely going to start seeing it. There's a very high probability that rates will start um, will get a, will be cut in May during the May meeting. We still have a ways between now and the March meeting, which isn't until like the 19th or 20th. So we're talking, you know, almost two months. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll see what happens. I I tend to be in the camp at this point that that May is the most likely time to see a rate cut. But I also, as I mentioned, this this sense of impatience that that has happened in the markets that people want things to happen already. And we've seen this. I, I was. Th- this is. A what do you, what do you mean in the markets? Have you driven? Have you driven lately? I'm sorry. Yeah. What do you mean in the markets? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's behavior <laughs> everywhere. It's it's everywhere, right? But I was also gonna. What I was. Uh, the other place I was going to um, apply that to uh, in terms of impatience is, is, for example, when you're talking about driving, would be you know EVs and just that people were expecting that, you know, by now, you know, everyone would be driving an EV, and you know, there's a process of. That, that has to take place, that transition from oil to other forms of energy, that's not going to happen overnight, and it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. So this, this, um, the next thing that's happening right now, and it's again, the, it's the key word that we're hearing from, from pretty much everyone is AI, artificial intelligence. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. There's you know a lot of good um, uses of AI, but you can't just simply snap your finger and all of a sudden have everything, um, everything has artificial intelligence. I had a dinner meeting with a, an old friend from Boston a few weeks ago, and he's a lifetime IBM person. So if I'm, th- I'm thinking about somebody I know who knows tech better than I do, I asked him some questions, and he was talking about a very specific example of a, of a client that they had been working with and they were deciding that, yeah, the solution for this um, client was to go AI. But the, but there were a number of people that just thought it meant turning the switch. And that's not the way it happens. And it was interesting to hear his comments, uh, you know, mimicking my, my thoughts about this level of impatience. I said, it's interesting that you're seeing it in the tech industry and we're also seeing it in our industry. Um, and the one thing that we know, because we've we've been through this for a long time, is, is patience is very important in our business. You know, it's something I had to learn over time. Um, you know, when I started out in the business, but it's actually very humbling, and it's very important to just understand where we are now and not to get too caught up in where we're going to be. So this is my explanation for what happened in in with the rally that we saw in November, December. The markets were anticipating this rate cut. They were they were getting very impatient. Um, I, I've felt a lot of impatience in the voice of a lot of the, the reporters. Yeah, this should already happen. This should have already happened this year because, um, you know, it's an election year. Why not Why not get out in front of it? But the thing is, we have to let the, the economy take its natural course. And what I will say is that the economy is improving, and it. but you just can't rush it. You can't, you can't rush the process. So as a result, we have this you know, equity market that's going to remain volatile until people start accepting um, where we're where we're at and not you know wanting us to be there already. If, Dan, if I were to write a, a first chapter or two of a book and you read it, um, or you know, listeners, people have a brain cell working, read the book, and I went through this whole history of 
the Fed in March of 2022, which wasn't that long ago, we were we were at a 0.25 to 0.5 federal funds rate. And over the next whatever, how many months, where, where, where are we at now? We're five uh, something something. Um, over the next, uh, this is a Forbes thing here. Over the next, essentially, year plus three months, we went from 0.5 to 5.25 and the people, the commentators on radio and TV and uh, I guess podcasts and uh, we're, we're dying for the Fed to turn the bus around and start lowering rates because it is, you know, it strangled this, it strangled that and blah blah, or the, the impression was it strangled this and strangled that. At the end of those two chapters, um, what would you, if you didn't know anything about the stock market, what would your assumption be? Um, about the stock market. About the stock market, just that there was going to be volatility. No, that it had, it had somehow cratered during yeah. that 15 months. But in fact, we're yeah. up. We're up. So so the, the idea that if we turn the bus around for two months, we're going to go even further up. I mean, it, it's kind of a... The first one didn't follow logically. Why do we think the second one's going to follow sure. logically? I, absolutely, yeah. That that's very true. Yeah, the market's the, the market is going to do its thing, and it's actually you know we are earnings focused, which is positive, and, and generally earnings have been have been good. I mean, with revisions and with you know with uh, estimates coming down, but it's still you know in general I think earnings have been strong. Uh, so there are other factors that are involved, but but of course, yeah, the the. The expectation is definitely not in in line with reality. Because I mean, we're we just we just constantly well, except for yesterday, well, we got spanked pretty good. I I mean, I, my 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 concern on this, and, and, and I I stop I'm, I stop picking on Nvidia because I really I mean I have issues with Nvidia because listeners have sent me some stuff about you know whatever uh, people have had podcasts saying Nvidia is being accused of this that and the other thing, but I, you know I don't know anything about that, so. I, I take it for the grain of salt it is. Uh, anyway, I, I don't I don't like the chairman all that much, and I don't like the fact that they seem to be right on the edge of what we want to sell and not sell to China when it looks like they're becoming almost a war enemy, so I don't like that part either. But anyway, but I picked on a company that I actually really kind of like. And I've been a member for ages, Costco, and I was yeah. just looking at their price. Now, Costco goes up like every friggin' day, it seems, Dan. And now the thing is... Uh, Guess what? It's up another point six percent today, six ninety eight. All right, so Costco, I just went through real easy. They've been around a while, so we're talking about a retailer that didn't start yesterday. We're talking about a retailer that's been what we've been members of PTI for twenty years, maybe. It's been a while, uh, so they've been around. You know what? Forty, fifty years, maybe. The uh, I don't know if it's that long, but they're they're. They now have a record high, except for like one month during COVID, they have a record high PE of 47. Now I'm going, now wait a minute. Obviously they've been able to raise prices, uh, but they, they treat their employees well. I mean, I do better than right. most retailers. Again, I like the place. I mean, I, I go there wherever I can. I don't see how in God's name, if, that's, if that stock had a 35 PE, I don't see any... Dan Janitas of the world, anybody saying, God, that's a screaming buy. That's so low. I mean, it's so low. A retailer with, with, with PE of 35, I got to go buy it. I, I don't think you'd say that in a second. If that would be what, 150 points out of the stock? I'm not right. saying it's going to happen. I mean, in fact, I wouldn't short it. It goes up every day. If you did, you'd be carried out. But I mean, I, these prices on some of these places that I actually like, 
uh, and, I, and I like the company, but how the hell, how in the hell do I buy it here? Yeah, and I, and I agree. I think that I think in the situation of Costco, that there's another point that was brought up yesterday. You know, related to consumers not really being happy with um, you know the level of, of uh, prices. So even though inflation has come down a bit, you know, you go to the grocery store and it hasn't. So Costco has probably benefited over the past few years from people moving from your your local um, grocery store to a Costco and shopping in volume and, and knowing what they're getting and not having to pay you know quite as much, especially when they shop in volume. So that I've noticed um, more people that I know uh, specifically who had never been Costco buyers um, shopping there just because the the um, you know, they're not happy with prices in general and they're trying to save money where they can. And I think it's a much better experience than, for example, a Walmart experience, um, you know, for shoppers. So so I can see part of the reason that it's done well, but just like you, I'm a value manager. I'm not gonna be buying things at, at high multiples. I feel the same way, obviously, about tech as well, that I think tech has gotten ahead of itself and, you know, all the talk again of AI. And that's sort of the message I'm saying today is just be really cautious with these overpriced or overvalued securities because momentum takes them to a certain point until reality sets in. And we realize that, hey, this just can this can just only go so far based on what we're talking about. Well, it, now, could, it could be, Dan. What, what, are, let's, what, what I try to do, which is, you know, kind of screwy for yourself, but this comes from trading on the trading floor for 20 years. Okay, it looks to me like it's priced a little high. All right, but if I sold it yesterday, guess what? I got four twenty nine stuck up my behind, right? So what is the other side seeing that I'm not? I mean, what what maybe they seem to be right and me wrong at least so far? What are they seeing? What could possibly be wrong with my analysis? Is it that we're going to continue to increase prices despite what the mopes of the Fed say? Is it that? More and more other stores are going to drop out of the way, and they become even more of a, you know, oligopoly than they are now. I won't say monopolist because there's people they compete against. Is there, you know, reason to think there's only going to be Home Depot, Lowe's, Costco, Sam's? I mean, is ten years from now is the population happy with ten providers that can charge whatever they damn well please? Maybe, maybe they're right, Dan. Maybe, maybe the the change that I don't see coming is going to come, and it really is. You're going to have to. Everybody's going to be gone except Home Depot and Lowe's, and maybe Lowe's is in, in, in many towns either. Maybe the monop the, the, the monopolistic co- combinations we've seen are just going to be to the point where you got to own these 15 places or 20 places, no matter what, because they're the only places left. I hope that's not right, but why why am I wrong and those guys right? There's got to be a reason. Yeah, well, I think that at least with talk, talking about, like, say, on the grocery side or the retail side, the the concern, if you look at the number two or number three or number four grocery store chains in your area, that the way that some of these second-tier grocery stores have had to survive is by raising prices. So it's interesting to me that in Florida you have, you know, Publix has always been the number one, and the prices have always been a little higher than average. You can certainly get better prices at Costco. But Winn-Dixie was always like the number two. And I was really shocked that I had gone into a Winn-Dixie a few um, months ago and seen that the prices were actually quite a bit higher than Publix. So in that case, those Winn-Dixie shoppers are probably going to Costco now. Well, so I, I, I wonder, is, I wonder Danny, is there something... I'm sorry to interrupt, but I always interrupt. I shouldn't. 
is is there something going on in the supply side that you and I aren't aren't privy to that that if you're gonna if you're gonna do stuff for Costco, you're, you're selling them your stuff way cheaper than you are Win Dixie, which is actually supposed to be illegal. It's it it is, but it's a volume. It's definitely a volume business. But it has to be. It's, ju- it's supposed to be justified. It. I, I agree. <laughs> but 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 is it really? I mean. Uh, it, yeah. It's no. I absolutely agree that. But it, the other thing about Costco is it's a business that's expanding. So we're seeing in, for example, in places like where I live new Costco's are going in still I'm not sure that's the case with um, with say Winn-Dixie so I'm just using that as an example of a and they're not really good good comparisons the, the again a lot of it is as I'm saying is is perception rather than reality so the perception is that this is the direction everybody's moving in because everybody goes to the grocery store it's not something that people you know it's everybody goes and buys the goods that they have at Costco it's not something that people it's not an industry that people aren't familiar with themselves. Yeah, but you're not so, you're not going to go there if you got a studio apartment. You you have to move out because the stuff's so big. You buy. Right, exactly. It's it's all about volume, but it works for a, a large number of Americans. And it's also again, it's the it's the the perception that this is just the way things are going. So those believers, if you will, are the ones who are going to pile on more because um, you you know, including yourself, who think okay, yeah, this is. Um, this is this is a, a business model that makes a lot of sense. However, a lot of these people are not investment people like us. They have not been in the market. They don't look at valuation. In fact, that's one of the biggest concerns I have. The two of the biggest concerns I have are that individual investors can love an idea and it does make sense. And I do think Costco in general is a good, you know, it's a good business model. It makes sense in this environment we're in. But look at the valuation. That's something that, that a lot of investors don't do, especially retail investors. And then the third part is look at how it trades. And we have that benefit having been traders and investors to know that. And those are aspects of an investment that I think are essential. Um, so really understanding the valuation and, and not just saying, hey, you know, this thing's going to the moon. Understanding that there's going to be times where it's overpriced. And if you'd like it long term, you have to be disciplined enough to say, OK, I'm going to sell it at this point And I may step back, back in again when it when it sells off. So, and, and as you said earlier, and I, I agree 100%, that we've generally had this favorable um, equity market in in recent months, at least, and it's been generally favorable despite some of the, the headwinds that we're seeing. And when people have that, when that investor confidence comes back, it tends to to accelerate momentum. Well, you end, you end up you end up growing in your in your purchasing power, not as much as if you're trading futures, but if, if you bought. You know, Costco at three hundred at PTI, and it's now seven hundred. You want to borrow money to buy some more? It's right there for you. It's like it's like your, right. I mean, your wealth is to the moon. But hey, so where where right now for two thousand and twenty four? I mean, we're February first today. Um, you know, PTI gets a new client. Hey, hey I got <laughs> whatever. Uh, for some reason, I don't have any any. You know, stocks. You're never going to find somebody like this, but somebody just walks in with just cash. Say, say it's a million bucks. I'm not trying to say I need a million dollar client, but and I'm going to sit and they're going to go. All right, how much of that right now, given kind of the headwinds and your your buddy Gunlock was on yesterday talking about he doesn't believe he doesn't believe anything. You know, but the, the weird part is, I, I'm sort of I'm I'm not a you know I'm not going to believe everything the guy says, but he he brings up stuff. He goes, how the hell could the labor the labor Market be so fantastic 
that all everybody talks about all day long is everybody's got a job. He goes, there's nothing but layoffs this whole last couple of weeks. And he goes, every state, 85% of the states, telling you the labor market's lousy. He goes, so where are these, where are these stats coming from? You know, I mean, he's, he does the same thing we do a little bit. He's like, wait a minute, these are, you know, it's all mad. But right now, door opens, guy walks in, hey, I never even met you, but here's here's a million bucks. What do I do with it? Uh I, where, where, where'd you put him? I, 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 yeah, I'm no, gonna, I'm I gonna say I, I'd put at least good, I'd probably put twenty. Good. Well, let me say what I'd do it out of the gate, just because he's here. I'd say open up an account on Monday. Let's go, you know, thirty, thirty, uh, ninety days and, and six months. Let's put half of it in T bills and decide because we don't need to put the whole million to work today. Uh, and I talked to you about is there is there some some good fixed income over the next year, and for the rest of it, I'd probably put it in some kind of a a protected thing, but but long the market. I mean, I, that's that's what I would do now, depending on the age of the person and all the other yes. stuff. Because I mean, that's you know, if you're exactly. if you're if you're 25, you're not doing that. I mean, you're probably going to be much more aggressive. Or or if you're 85, uh, you know, who knows? You might not. You might be really careful about what you put in the market or whatever or long, any kind of long dated. Well, what would you do? I would. I you know, it, it's it's definitely a good question, and I would do exactly what you said. I, I definitely think it's still a good good investment um to be in t-bills you know that we're getting you're still getting five and a half percent you know we have you know and, and especially after yesterday's announcement we're not going to see a decline in rates and even if we do again remember you make money in any bond when rates go down so that includes t-bills so you want to be in t-bills when rates are going down because you're getting that high coupon and you're also getting that capital appreciation when prices of t-bills start going up relative so it happens even in the very short end. But what we've done recently is we've added a couple of different, um, and they're ETFs that I'll mention. One of them is AG, A-G-G. It's a bond ETF that includes longer term bonds, it includes corporates, mortgages. It's With the, AGG? AGG. Um, and it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna give you a little more bang for your buck as interest rates come down. It's going to give you exposure to some other sectors of the market without having to do specific homework on each single name. So you're going to have a broader range of fixed income investments. Um, so this it, is it, no, it's you know the one the one that I trade for people is the TLT, which is essentially a 20 year plus. But that's more okay. I'm saying I'm just trying to contrast the two. That this is this yeah, is much this shorter term. Corporates. This would have corporates. Okay. This would have. Um, Mortgages. This would have other other securities that are part of the aggregate, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index. So the ba- Barclays Aggregate Bond Index is the U.S. Bond Index, and then there's the global one. The U.S. one, obviously. Just What's the? the uh, is there an average time that they're talking here? Is it five years, six years, four years? No, these are these are ETFs that trade like stocks, so you can get in and get out. At no, I'm, I'm saying, but is there an average? Oh, average maturity, in the, and it's going to be probably between five and seven years. Okay, yes. so it's like a mid mid sort of thing. Range, so it's going to give you more exposure to interest rates, uh, you know, interest rate risk, um, a diversification into other areas of fixed income. And I think the, the, the we have tailwinds um, with us, so I think AGG makes sense to have fixed in, broad-based fixed income exposure. And to go back to your, your question, the other thing that we're doing is the same type of thing on the equity side. So rather than just trying to find a few names, some of which might have been driven by momentum, some of which might be you know, dealing with their own unique situations. Um, New York Community Bank, for example. So 
I would be in more broad-based indices at this point. Uh, one area of the market that still lags, um, that we have been participating in since the fall, is the small cap space and small cap value in particular. We were concerned about liquidity at one point, but if you buy the broad index, um, one of the indices, uh, one of the ETFs we use is IJR. It's basically the iShares for small cap um, value stocks. And again, you're buying a broader mix, um, so you're not necessarily looking at stock-specific risk. You're in a sector that's been down, a part of the of the equity market that's been down 20%. So there's more upside in small cap. And if this trend of the economy improving, inflation moderating continues, they will benefit as well. All right, I'm gonna so ask, I'm gonna, can I ask you that question? Because I, I put some, uh, we at PTI put some uh, uh, money to work for people yesterday for the first time kind of in a while and uh, we put it in the Russell which again yes. has, has not Same. done near yep. as well so the minute I did that being because yeah. this, but this yeah. is this is weird if, you, if you've been a trader every time you buy something long I realize I'll make this a little longer story but uh, I used to do seminars for people a lot uh, Dan and I'd come in and I'd say uh Oh, you guys, would anybody buy any stock this week? And you had some guy, yeah, I bought GE, I bought GM, I bought something, something. And I said, oh, you know, why'd you buy it? Well, you know, I got this. I'm, I'm doing my homework, you know, the usual BS. Doing my home, not BS, I mean real stuff. Doing my homework, by the way, I, I tap into this letter writer and this guy, and I saw this guy on TV, and he says, whatever. You know, uh, Sidewash State is a buy. And I go, okay, who did, who did you think you bought it from? What do you mean I bought it from the market? Yeah. And I go, no, you didn't exactly buy it from the market. You bought it from a person. A seller. I mean, if, if you did it from PTI and you bought it, PTI matched up with a guy from Schwab or some other place, right. and they sold it. I said, what makes you think that that guy wasn't smarter than you yesterday? And the look on their face is like, like, like I'm Yoda from, from you know, Star Wars or something. What do you mean? I said, well, you bought it from someone. That person sold it to you. He sold it because he had a reason. You bought it because you had a reason. What makes you think you're smarter now? That's a very good point. My, my <laughs> they look on their faces like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Somebody else, right. It's a t And that's what's the great thing about having that trading experience and really understanding the trading side of, of making investment decisions, that it's a very important component that's often over, overlooked by a lot of individual investors. One quick um, point is, is my mentor, when I started in this business many, many years ago, one of the first assignments he gave me was to put together a portfolio of stocks and bonds that would underperform. Like, put together the worst performing um, group of securities you can. And that really makes you think, especially on the bond side, because in an environment like we're in now where interest rates are, you know, even the Fed is saying that we see short-term rates have already peaked, um, we know that rates are only gonna come down. So try creating a portfolio um, of stocks uh, or bonds that or both um, that is likely to, to sell off or likely to trade down, and it's tougher than you think. Oh, sure it, it is. It sure it is. Also, give it. Also, it, it, it the exercise helps answer chief your questions or your 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 observation that there is another side of every trade. Well, I mean, I don't. So, I mean, when I did, like I said when I did, well, you mentioned these small caps, or and I did the Russell, which is the smaller cap, in a different one. I'm, I'm first thing that popped in my mind is: is there something? going on in this world, maybe because some people can borrow at one rate and other people on others, it's, it's become so uneven 
that maybe these small caps are never going to come back. But that's a possibility, Ben. Yeah, and I think liquidity is really a, a big issue. The concern about liquidity, um, the you know, and also like, as you're saying, everyone going to the. I mean, we can. I can say this with the you know with a little bit of an analogy. Everybody going to the big box stores. Everybody going to the big box stocks. Yep. If that makes sense. Well, so Dan, that's, we, that's Dan, we got a dish. When am I going to see you? The weather's getting better. I know you don't show up when it's raining or snowing. Or something. <laughs> when it's snowing, yeah, the spring definitely. The right, spring. Bud. All right. Well, uh, we got a day where we could talk forever. Obviously, maybe we'll maybe we'll find another spot next week as well. Next week should be better. SP futures up 15. Nasdaq futures up 88. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Loan up by Stacks and Jacks. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 13. NASDAQ Futures up 84. We're actually down a little bit from where we were. We're trying to make up for yesterday's uh, pretty pretty big debacle. Fed Fed Day sell-off is what it's being uh, called here by those guys that are the wordsmiths, Greg. The wordsmiths. Fed Day sell-off. Capital F, capital D, small s, small o, in case you want to put that down. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down 19.1%. FTSE up 12.1%. Kick around down 45 point. So I'm going to say very, very marginally the downside here. Very. Over in Asia, somewhat of a mixed bag. Nikkei down 275.8%, 36,011. Hang Seng a little bit of a bounce up 81, still 15,566. Shanghai, though, under 2,800 now, down 1781 to 2770. Uh, now, it's not, uh, it's not, not so hot. Yesterday, a big debacle. Dow down 317. S&P down 79. Nasdaq down 345. That's 2.2%. That's a big move. Um, we have the bonds uh, down six basis points now, 3.91. So, you know, reasonably under 4%, uh, which is, you know, I guess the uh, the Fed didn't, the bond market did not uh, like the Fed all that much yesterday. The Bund up two basis points, 2.18. Japan down five basis points, 0.69. So actually kind of a Mixed bag in the bond markets as well. Oil up 77 cents, 76.62. Brent up 75 cents, 81.30. Natural gas up two cents, 2.12. Gold is uh, down 18 bucks now, 2,049. But here you got to be careful on the gold because the the February one we have been talking about is 2,029. We've now flipped to the to the April, which is 2,049. So it, even though it sounds like it's up 20 bucks from yesterday, it's not really. Because there was that premium in the far month out future to start with. 
Silver down 56 cents, 2261. Getting down to a price where I'm a little bit interested. Uh, hmm. Hmm. A Bitcoin down 541, 42231. Ethereum uh, down 24. We don't usually give that one. We're 2274. In case anybody trades that. The U.S. dollar um, pretty much unchanged. The euro is 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 down is up just a hair uh, at 108.2, and the British pound is down a little bit at 1.27. Greg, what do you have for us? Trevi Weather Sports, the Bulls. Morning, everyone. 7.36 here in Chicago. 37 right now, up to about 48 today, mild with some sun. Colder tomorrow, though. 62 degrees in Phoenix, clear skies, 77 today. Rainy weather um, this evening through tomorrow. Traffic, we got inbound Kennedy from Montrose, 23 minutes. Edens from Lake Cook, 41 minutes. Inbound Eisenhower from Wolf, it's 37 minutes. And the Ryan, 95th to the interchange is 24 minutes. Stevenson to the Ryan is 36 minutes. Sports, Bulls beat the Hornets. That's 117 to 110. Northwestern loses at Purdue, 69 to 105. So I got Chief. Back to you. Do we have Mr. Flanagan? How are you doing? Isn't it much easier, Greg, without the machines all exact, all work and stuff? That's Zoom, I'll tell you. That's Zoom. It's such a time saver. You know, it's... it. Uh, Two, two minutes of my episode with Zoom yesterday. Of course, my engineers who were supposed to know all about all this stuff, they all disappear, and it's left with me, the Luddite. And it turns out that I'm, I'm paying for Zoom, right? But the the uh, email that they use for the account is not the one that I normally use. So we don't know which email somebody used, right? So I call Zoom, and I go to, I go to service. Well, they want... Some ten digit something something which I don't have, but normally at these at these sites, if you just sit there long enough, eventually they'll get pissed off at you and they'll pick up the phone. Not these guys. Please please enter this number. Please enter this number. So I call back and I go to billing. I figure okay I can, I can get, to into the place some billing. No luck. Please put in your invoice number. Please put in your invoice number. Well, I don't have an invoice because going to an email that I have no idea where it's going. All I know is I'm paying for it, so somehow they're getting to me. So what do you what do you do for the last the last ditch effort, John, to get into a place? Next time I call, I say I want new service because they'll pick up. Oh, of course they'll pick up. <laughs> they'll pick up. So I get this lady. She goes, "Oh, you gotta like talk to somebody at whatever." I said, "Don't put me back in that loop." And she says, "No. Uh, once once you talk to somebody, then I get to transfer you to like another somebody." <laughs> okay then. I must have been an hour and a half with the guy. The guy says, well, what's your invoice number? Well, I don't have one. What about this? I says, all I know is that on the first of the month, I'm paying you guys, and here's my credit card number. Oh, man, I don't know if we can work back from that. <laughs> well, an hour and a half later, and a bunch of different times on hold, they actually found who the hell I was. And uh, I mean, I, somewhere, someplace, somebody gave you some money. You ought to be able to find it, right? But uh, I would think that would be the easiest thing to do, Chad. You know, and they did. And the guy goes, well... How, how come you don't have an invoice? I said, because you got a different email address. There's an invoice someplace. I'm not getting it. Oh, okay. Finally, we straightened it all out, but it was, it was a solid hour and a half. You know, and the guy, I don't know what country he was from. He sure as hell wasn't from here, but he eventually got the thing right, and uh, we're all set this morning. But, uh, God, what a pain. I mean. Uh, well, th- think of the loss of productivity to you and yeah. anybody else in a equivalent situation when you could be doing something else like making money. You know, well, like doing, like doing the show, yeah, keeping your sanity. Yeah. But uh, well, yesterday was kind of a kind of a sit around to the Fed thing anyway. So I mean, it was a 
But there's nothing more boring than the hour before the Fed announcement. I mean, if, if, you, if you had tiddlywinks, you'd be you'd be playing them, right? Uh, they even make those anymore. Maybe I haven't seen a tiddlywink set in whatever. But so are we supposed to have like a, a cake for Fed Day now, Tom? Is that well? I mean, everybody got this thing in their mind that the the market is is priced to perfection, and maybe it'll go higher, and maybe we're we're going to hamper. But we're starting to see all these different. There's no way we could ever say, look how good the labor market is. The last four days, all everybody's talking about is layoffs. Well, now UPS can lay off 12,000 people. Now, some of this... Will, that's will, huge. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a, And that's a sign of other layoffs to come, too. When I, and I, tomorrow, I, I got a message out to Carl, because uh, he's our, our labor maven. And I, you know, this, this guy, Jeffrey Gunlock, he comes on, and he has a lot of good points. I mean, I don't agree with him a lot on a lot of it, but still, the dude's no dummy. He comes up with stuff that... That maybe I haven't thought of, and you know, maybe if he was on his shoulder, stuff we have here that he hasn't thought of, and that's just that's how you move ahead, right? And he said, you know, there's the states put out their essentially unemployment numbers. I, I I guess I assume that they compiled them somehow. I didn't know that you could actually go find those. So I said, Carl, where do you find these things? He claims that every the state stuff doesn't match up with the federal stuff. Well, that doesn't surprise us, does it, Chad? Hardly, yeah. No, I mean, uh, so I mean, I, I think otherwise. But I, I but so I asked Carl, you ever, you ever heard of this? He goes, I, I guess I've heard of it. I've never seen it, but he's going to try and do some research for tomorrow. Um, also, I mean, there's, I, I'm not so sure that the labor market is that good, to be honest with you. And I, uh, here's a, here's a interesting uh, thought I want to keep for you, Jen, is one of my guys that I do business with, one of the money managers, calls up in his, uh, I, I don't think they're fully married yet. Can you be half married? Anyway, I, I think there's still uh, significant others. Both and, shaves. Yeah, and uh, and she, you know, they have a house together. Any, anyway, it's the new world. Uh, the uh, she's at a company where they um, somebody either quit or got laid off or something. It was making eighty grand a year. So when the resumes coming in. They've got people that are out of work that are making. Were, that were making 110, 120 grand a year, and now they're thinking they can get because of the the resumes and the stack they have, that they're going to get somebody for 60 and not 80. Now I think who knows. And he says, "What do you think about that?" And he's a lot younger. And I said, "Well, be careful because if you have somebody that was making 120, and not just you know last year's bonus because the place made a lot of dough, if they're actually their market value is that." And because, you know, maybe there's no husband, whatever, there's no, that they need somebody on hospitalization right away because they got two, three kids, they may take the job at 60, but they're never going to stop looking. Right. And, uh, right. and he goes, what do you mean? I said, well, why would they stop looking? They, they'll take it because they have to, but their resume is never going to come off the street. And the first time somebody comes close to what they used to make, they're gone. Or in a job that they think they're qualified for. I mean, you're actually you're you're taking the college grad and sticking them behind the hamburger thing. They're, they're, I mean, they're gonna hopefully they'll do a nice job flipping burgers, but the guy you gotta believe they're still looking for the the job that, that they're looking for, right? It's totally natural. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, it's I mean, how how much of that's going on? I mean, I yes, are there jobs out there? But these, you know, it always I use the term pisses me off when 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 somebody making you know. Two, three, four, five hundred grand a year for being a talking head on TV, which I don't know what the talent you need for that for. Uh, because somebody else got a job at twelve bucks an hour, they should be happy. Well, you got a job. What's the problem? You know that type of thing. Well, there's jobs, and then there's jobs, right, Jen? <laughs> well, the, the, the ones who have money invested 
in an education and they know what they paid for that education or what they owe on that education and what you know some previous employer told them they were worth because of what they used to make it's going to be a pretty hard sell that oh we were just joshing you all along here's what you really were worth all along and you better be happy about it that's just not going to fly um jim what would you i was reading last night about oh, biden's trying again to take another swipe at the uh student loan stuff um here's 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 where i am on, the, on this thing i mean fortunately I didn't have one. Uh, it was a long, long time ago when things were a lot cheaper. Uh, but my observation of the system is, uh, Janet, uh, some of the people who co-sign for people that are, like, dead are on Social Security, on something. I also think that the government that has uh, jammed interest rates down for people to half of 1% to nothing at a bank for the last, you know, 12, 15 years, and yet they're still we're charging some of these people on these student loans, 5 and 6% is, you know, some of it wasn't, some of it was cheaper, the government stuff, but some people I know tell me they have a blended rate of four and a half, five, six. not so much 6, but four and a half, five. You're, you're scalping the hell out of your own population. I, I would not be unsupportive of some sort of a interest rebate to what I think would be a fairer price even if you already paid it off, you get a check for the over-interest you paid. So keep it fair, as Rodney said. Keep it fair. And I would have some way of people being disabled or or if the person's even dead and somebody co-signed the thing or if somebody legitimately went bankrupt. I, there, there's got to be some sort of a solution in here for some of this, John. It isn't just let everybody get off free because they want them to vote for me type of thing. But... But there's a lot wrong with this system, I think. Am I right or wrong? There's, a, there's been a lot wrong with it, and it's fueled the education bubble, which is maybe the worst. Well, that's another part. I didn't even get into that one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but it's. You know, I think you know, there's, there's ways to do this, as you say, and one way not to do it is just executive order is, yeah. is a trade-off for votes or to sweeten you know, your, your narrative to a, a group of the population that you haven't done much for otherwise. But, you know, Ramaswamy, when he was, you know, campaigning, had some interesting ideas about, you know, working some of this off via some sort of service arrangement or, you know, a a percentage of it could be worked off in a certain... You know, but that's not, that's not, that's not new, John. That's a state of Michigan that's done that. That's a better alternative than just saying, oh, you know, let somebody take the hit for this. Well, but but I think, just go back to one piece of it. I think that everybody with these loans has been totally screwed to the tune of Two to two and a half percent interest for twenty years. I mean, totally screwed compared to. I mean, we're scalping our own kids for God's sake. I mean, uh, we're 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 lending money, we're lending money to a corporation at two and turning around and and, and charging a, a student five. I mean, come on. So I, mean, I I would be in favor of I mean, we don't have the money, but if we did, I would say everybody for the last fifteen years gets two percent back, and if you paid your last check last week. Last month, you still get the two percent back for what you already paid. You got to leave. You can't. You can't screw the guy who made his, who, who made this, sent his last check in last month, and then all of a sudden, every now gets gets it left for free. That's not right either, right? No, but you look at the bigger picture, Tom, where you've got institutions that have, you know, created degrees and degree programs that I would say are, are pretty practically worthless as any kind of a career path, or or you know, giving you a skill set that's useful somewhere, and people, you know 
blindly went into it as if this was going to be some kind of cure-all and, and didn't pay much attention to how much they were borrowing and how little they would get at the end of it. So we've had some, you know, I would say ed education consumers that, you know, from the get-go were poorly educated and extremely naive. Well, okay, that's um, it. All right, now, careful. There might be somebody on this show, uh, not me, by the way, so that only leaves one of us, who might have gone to school and gotten, let's say, an English degree or something, uh, and ended up becoming a lawyer and a successful lawyer. That if if the tuition was seventy grand a year, everybody would beat in a certain person. Not that his name's Flanagan or anything, about the head and shoulders, saying, "What a moron you are!" But at the right cost, at the right price, there was nothing wrong with you getting an English degree or whatever you got. Is there? No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an English degree, certainly. But there's a lot of garbage degrees out there, Tom. Well, I mean, but in I today's world, in, I tell I you, if, in that column, if you were to I, take, you know, oh, if you were to take a survey of anybody under the age of 30, they would put English at the top of the scrap heap column. I wouldn't, but they would. What do you mean? No, it's not accounting. It's not engineering. It, 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 it gets it gets a bad rap. Certainly. By the I mean, way, economics, economics would be right there, what I took, so I'm, not, I'm right behind you. But buddy. it's showing <laughs> the numbers of people who are getting English degrees, too. And I, I think if that's if the perception is that this degree doesn't pay you know, your bills for you, then, then it's a pretty stupid idea to get it, unless you have some other you know, way of supporting yourself. You're not going to do it via this degree. But English is one of the degrees you actually can use in a lot of other fields. Although you won't get a lot of people to admit that when they're in the middle of a of a you know degree program that requires them to take English, and they're taking a lot of other nut stuff. All right, so where where would I have gone with my arts and letters economics degree if I didn't go to grad school or something like that? Where where exactly? I'd, I'd be flipping burgers watching watching the CNBC or what? Well, that that was a you know not a bad decision to do when education costs what it did when you and I got it. Well, I'm saying, so if it, if it I wasn't was, putting myself behind the eight ball for the rest of my life because I got a degree that was never going to make big bucks for me. I didn't expect it to when I got it, but it wasn't costing me big bucks to get it either. So now it costs big bucks for for a good degree as well as for a garbage degree. Well, I, I, I just say a, a non-vocational school degree. I won't call it a garbage degree. Well, I, I just call some of them garbage degrees, Tom, because they're, they're well, not I mean, worth the uh, paper they're written on. Well, I mean, if it's rocks for jacks, yeah, but... I didn't Social justice, so equity issues. I mean, look at the, the degrees you can get at Northeastern Illinois now that I've never heard of 15 years ago, and that I don't think open any doors for you except, you know, if you have gone brain dead about your politics and your vision of the world, maybe you're useful to somebody with those credentials, but I can't imagine anybody actually expects to... To, you know, succeed with them. It's but, just a way of confirming your, your political beliefs and thinking you, you did all the right things in your life, and here's a certificate to prove it. Well, that's BS. By the way, i got to ask you, did you take Rax for Jax? No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of wish I had those. I don't know anything about geology. I mean, I, you know, did you take uh, Space Tech? No. How, how did you avoid that? Everybody well, took I that. Took, I, I took it. It was a science, you know, a horrible lecture course at eight in the morning when it was pitch dark in South Bend. You know, sometimes of the year. I uh, and it was a pitch for social science for you know the, the arts and letters crowd. So it was you know five hundred people in the engineering auditorium, um, 
and it was a broad-based thing, a little bit of physics, a little bit of chemistry, you know, a little biology. I can't really tell you anything about it now, except I had better teachers for that stuff in high school, and I didn't learn a heck of a lot of it. So. Well, we had, uh, what is this, I don't know really interested in this, maybe, but uh, there was a, one of the things they really beat you up on is if you were an aerospace engineer guy. I mean, those guys, they never saw the light of day. They got the, they got the crap beat out. Matter of fact, Ohio State, it's a five-year major. Notre Dame, it's four years. You can imagine how much they crammed into the four years. And But then they had this one class you could go, and it was just a kind of a relief class for seniors. And it was about NASA, and it was about space flight. and It was, about, it was called uh, Space Tech and Society, where guys would actually make uh, paper airplanes and, and fly them from the balcony and stuff and you know, learn about flight. Well, of course, everybody finds out about it, that it's like an A course, and everybody's in the thing. Now, nobody showed up. I actually went there. John, I remember more from that class. The guys who taught it, one guy was the head of NASA for a while. They had three teachers. I learned more in that class. I learned all about the, the, the DC-10 cargo door problem. I learned, all the stuff you learned about in there, I thought it was absolutely fascinating. I never missed a class. And yet, out of 300 people who were in there, there couldn't have been 50 people that showed up. You know, but our buddy Mike was one of them with me, I think. And, uh, but he never was really with me, if you know what I mean. He was in the class with me. Anyway, I'm going to quiz you. Well, just to, to follow up on that a little bit, though, Tom, I mean, the English degree that I got was the kind of degree that most you know, institutions offered, and maybe Notre Dame had a, had a slightly better version of it. It had a, you, you had to have a sprinkling of courses in different periods. You didn't just take only contemporary lit, and you didn't take all just theory classes, but you actually had to read literature. And it was, I thought, a pretty rigorous program. It was about what I expected it to be, and I thought I was getting exactly out of it what I thought somebody, you know, who had a whole, you know, thousands of years of literature before them to get a, an excellent sampling of it and an appreciation for it, for stuff not yet written. But to get an English degree today, I think at, at almost every institution, there's hardly any literature being read. There's no sense of, of history in it. There's they shun anything that has any difficulty in it, in it, whether it's Chaucer or Shakespeare or the Victorian novelists or you know anything that that existed before 2000 is considered antiquated now. So an English degree today is nothing like it used to be. All right, so you but paid. You paid. I'm going to say our tuition senior year was around 3,200 bucks, and a room and board was a, a grand. Because I remember that could be an RA, I didn't have to pay room and board. So my senior year was thirty-two fifty or whatever the hell it was. Today at Notre Dame and these bigger schools, I'm going to say it's seventy-five eighty. Right now, we're, we, there's yeah. no doubt that at forty-two hundred, what you and I took was not only a bargain; it was probably a steal in terms of education, meeting people, you name it. Not to mention room and board for a G was a steal. Yeah. Uh, and the education we, we got was superior to what you get there now. Right. And now, what do you suppose the CPI calculation indicator says that should be today versus the 75 or 80 that it is? Well, totally out of whack. No, I'm saying, what do you think it would be if you put in the case inflation? Oh, oh I, I would even... <laughs> would you believe... Well, 30,000? 25,000? Pretty close. 26.3. Now, if it was still 26.3... I don't think we'd bitch at all about somebody spending four years getting an English degree or an arts and, and economics. Degree. And if the if the educational product hadn't been so degraded, it would be a steal. Well, honey, I mean, I, I don't, I don't. 
How do you know that? I mean, I, I don't. I don't know that the economics professors now at Notre Dame are worse than when I was there. Oh, I don't. I don't. I say the teachers are any worse, but the quality of the material and their approach to it and their sense of history and the depth into which you go, I think, is totally, well, totally different. It's much more superficial, you know, and in a way, maybe it has to be because it's you know, fifty years have elapsed since we got what we thought was a state-of-the-art education. And the state of the art has shifted tremendously in fifty years. Well, what, but why do you think the Why do you think the guy teaching uh, money and banking now is worse than the guy had? I don't think I don't not saying the teacher himself or herself is worse. I'm just saying the quality of the material and the and the the quality of the the course you okay. know, spectrum too is not as good. So you're saying a guy like Hal Snar is not as good as Coach Leahy was. <laughs> no, I'm not saying nothing about the personalities, Tom. They, they have to teach to the curriculum. Just a, they're just a shot to hell. Okay, <laughs> excuse me. But, but the courses, the courses have become so specialized, and and you know, and I think in many areas, superficial to the point of being completely irrelevant. That there's no way you can say the education product is comparable. Well, I bet, I bet they do don't learn a lot about. I bet they don't learn as much about. Uh, labor history and labor economics and those kinds of things as we did. I mean, I, I, course, bet, that, I bet that's off the chart. I bet nobody, te- nobody teaches that anymore, I don't think. No, and one of the reasons, too, is that people are coming to college out of even good high school you know, systems with much less of a sense of history and of writing skills and basic math than people did 50 years ago. There's just, there's just no question in my mind that people aren't being taught those things and I think the quality of, of instruction in secondary and elementary schools has completely collapsed well I so mean as, as Eric as, teachers around was well, our buddy Eric May says and he teaches creative writing at Columbia because I spent the first three weeks talking about punch, punctuation with these guys I spent the entire semesters when I was teaching English doing really it. although that wasn't and I was always being reminded this is not our mission here but I thought well how can I gives anybody a, a grade in an English writing class that's something not to be embarrassed by if they don't know how to edit their work basically for punctuation, capitalization, usage. What was your, if they can't do that, then who am I kidding? What was your most miserable year? another job. What was your most miserable year at school and who was your teacher at any level? Oh, well, I can think of some religion classes I didn't like. <laughs> I, I thought fourth grade with Miss Prendergast was a real stickler. That was the year you learned how to diagram sentences and all that stuff. God, I hated it. They even do that anymore? No, and Tom, I never did it. And I always had a craving to master it because it was in all of the textbooks I had in grade school and high school. And I remember asking in class one time, when are we going to start diagramming sentences? The teacher looked at looked at me like I just... Well, you should have hauled your butt over to St. John Fisher and, and sat with me in fourth <laughs> grade. I hated it. And I, and I she didn't think I was the best student either because I was much better at math and everything. And I don't yeah, know. I, you know I, don't, I don't think that's the way to teach the, you know, the, the end result of why people diagram in the first place. I guess it's a it's a tool, but it wasn't ever a tool I had to worry about, and I don't think I would have liked it any more than you did had I been exposed. to Well, it, it just was not something a you know a twelve year old guy's all that interested. I mean, you know, I was I, I you know I was okay with it. If you had a, I mean, if you had to write, if you're going to learn how to write, you had to learn what what a sentence was. How many people know yeah, there was an? It's, it's more important to know here's a dependent clause, yeah. here's a demonstrative pronoun, but instead of instead of worrying about how to display them graphically. It'd be better if you just knew how to use Well, you know, it was way worse than, I don't know, this guy's doing stocks and jacks, which was way worse. 
talk about languages that had massive amounts of diagramming and past participles, and it was Latin. Latin had like oh, eight, yeah. di- eight had like eight different tenses for every verb. We don't have, we don't have anywhere near that. Anyway, so John, what you know, we got Latin education is completely collapsed in this country. Oh yeah, and it's All right, John. We got um, we got two minutes to tie this back to. Um, I'm talking to a lot of clients about how we're going to trade this year, and, and of course, you keep, the conversation can't go anywhere without some sort of headwinds. You know, what's the Fed doing? What's are, are we going to have expansionary wars, tax increases? Are we, you know, what are we doing here? Should we be buying stock in, in uh, you know, the defense places and some of them? In fact, Honeywell came out with their earnings last night, and they're down two and a half percent. So, obviously, Honeywell wasn't a good buy yesterday. Maybe today, uh, who knows? But uh, it's—I'm finding it real difficult to try and predict this next year because uh, everything seems like a different plane. You had some people talking about the economy is fantastic; they're looking at the gross numbers uh, because we have money in the system, in my opinion. Then you talk to other people and say, "What are you talking about? I'm, I'm way worse than I was last year, the year before, the year before that." In terms of what I my what my income can buy, uh, but that's not in the in the in the in the figures. And you look at the unemployment rate; the unemployment rate is is statistically way down. But the people into the column, we don't know what they're doing. It keeps going higher and higher. We just don't count them as looking for a job. So I I can't honestly make head nor tail out of these numbers because of what the Fed did a few years ago. They seem so conflicting to me that it's I I really want to see people balanced. And if you're older and you've got yourself a nest egg, I never, I've been in the business 40 years, John. I never told people to put money in T-bills before. I mean, this, I mean, I've, ne- I ne- I mean I, I've never done that. And yet all of a sudden I'm going, you know, if you're not sure, if we're not sure, we, we can sit this one out for three months. I mean, we, you know, we, that's, that's not the money manager who says, give me, give me your money, I'm charging you a fee and two commissions. I mean, my brother goes to the auction for, for 500 grand. I think we charge somebody 20 bucks or something. We, we do it for him. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not about, I'm looking for people to be here for a while and for us all to make some dough together over time. I'm willing to sit it out, too, for three to six months. But I, I honestly am at a loss here. And everybody else is such an expert, and yet I talk to all you really smart guys, I think I have a pretty good idea of what's going on. I don't feel like an expert at all right now. I have no idea what's going on here. Where I, think, I-, I think my biggest concern, Tom, is that you're right, we're going to be on a war footing for the foreseeable future. But I don't think we know how to fight those wars, and that that lack of knowledge or certainty, of course, translates into uncertainty about investing opportunities too. Because I don't think our Defense Department, you know, the Pentagon, whatever, any of these experts have really figured out what you know being on a war footing now means, and how likely we are to be, you know bringing up the rear in the way we, we approach it. It isn't going to be, I think, conventional war fighting. And I, I think there's still a big push for that in the arms industry. This is, you know, the kind of weaponry that we need to invest more in. But I think we're going to discover sooner rather than later that this is not how we win wars. And, you know, the, the example of the drone attack in Jordan is just one small piece of that. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of wasteful expenditures and very little to show for it, so I would hesitate to say that just plowing money into Honeywell or so. Well, yeah, I would agree arms. too. It's, I'm very reluctant to do that because I don't, I don't know where the next money's being spent. You know, and Lou always talks about you know a lot of the people are places around Denver doing a lot of the, the high end software and that kind of stuff. And he goes, you don't even know who these people are. They're all private. I mean, you can't even invest there. Right. 
Right. I mean, it's a, it's a tough deal. Anyway, we'll, hey, we get, we're not off on Monday. We get to have you back on Monday. Oh, well, I'll be good. Maybe I'll even get to see you this weekend. Who knows, you know? Um, you never know. Uh, it's supposed to be 50 degrees. By the way, what, what does it have to be for you to come out? 70 or 50 okay? Oh, 50 I can manage. <laughs> All right, bud. SP I, Futures. I can handle that. Uh, I'm a big guy now, you know. Well, I, but we'll see John again on Monday. We'll be back on Stocks and Jacks tomorrow. Tomorrow being Friday. SP Futures up 18. NSA Futures up 97. We're, we're pushing up near our highs again. We were going down when we're coming back up. Maybe we'll have a good day, make some of yesterday back. But we'll tell you all about it tomorrow morning. Report back to me when, uh, I don't know, when it makes sense. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708 349 3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708 403 2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1 800 821 4968.